Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things that affect therapists, our lives, our businesses, our practice, and the things that we want to do nice for other people. And <laughs> following up on an episode that we did a couple of weeks ago with Tiffany McLean, uh, we got some feedback from some listeners about sliding scale and about the emphasis on access to mental health care. I know that this is a position that a lot of us want to do good for our communities, expand access to care. It's something that Katie and I talk about from time to time. We wanted to speak to the sliding scale aspect of practices, of the ways that we go about this, the implications of what it means. Does it actually work with clients who pay a sliding scale fee? Do we show up fully as therapists in those sessions? And here's the the too long didn't listen to the entirety of the episode. It depends. <laughs> That's such a therapist answer. It depends. <laughs> well, I think just to, to summarize beyond it depends, I think in the overcome your poverty mindset episode, Tiffany was talking about the financial capacities of clients as well as the financial stability for therapists. And some of the arguments, and I think subsequently you did some research, so I'll turn it over to you in a second, Kurt, but there's a lot of different clinical theories around how fee impacts the clinical work. And so one of the things that Tiffany was positing was that clients who pay less may not value it as much. Clients who ask for a sliding scale may be disrespecting you or may be asking for rescue. I mean, I think there, there was different ways to take that in. I think there was a lot of it depends if the client is dedicated to therapy. There are a lot of different ways that you can go about identifying their fee. But the the thing that I kept coming back to is that there are truly different ways that people enter into therapy. I have a hybrid practice. So I do have some insurance clients and some clients that, that pay privately. And there are also people who have very different financial situations. And so to me, it felt like it was more of a nuanced conversation around fee than what we were having. Because I think the conversation truly was about therapists need to charge enough so that they can make a good life and they should be able to develop wealth and to to do the things that everyone else feels entitled to do. Like we, we haven't made a vow of poverty. 
And so to get down into it, because I think each of us are going to approach things differently given our own financial situations, our own philosophies, even our own clinical orientation, I really wanted to be able to kind of look at, well, starting with kind of the clinical theory around it, dig into some law and ethics, and then and then touch into the practical that if you're going to do something like this, how can you do it in a way that still makes sure that you can have a viable business that takes care of you? So starting with clinical, there are folks that say it doesn't matter the fee, people will get the value they get. And there are people that say that if people pay nothing or pay very little, that they won't value it. So what did you find in the different clinical orientations? Like all confusing things in our field, we're going to start with this. This got confused by Freud. So (laughs) darn that Freud. So Freud conceded that sometimes maintaining strict fees prevented people from actually accessing psychoanalysis. But Freud was still a fan of having pretty direct conversations with clients. And this was kind of echoed through some other psychoanalytic thinkers, probably most notably Carl Menninger, who was a big advocate of, we should be talking about fees with clients all of the time. And this is something that models to clients healthy boundaries, that there should be a fee, and kind of the overall discussion in the psychoanalytic community from you know Freud's time on through, you know, even Tiffany, you know, kind of talks about like the clients need to pay an amount that is uncomfortable enough for them to where they're invested into the therapeutic process, which leads to kind of all of our theories of leading to a good psychotherapeutic alliance. So you have to be uncomfortable enough for it to actually be an investment. And and this might be kind of my oversimplification of words, but <laughs> in our discussion before recording this episode, we kind of were talking about that it has to be enough of an investment that people invest in therapy. That yeah, and and that's totally independent of which psychotherapeutic approach that you take. But this does lead to, you know, what what does that investment mean? And there's a lot of really mixed research out there on clients' outcomes when it comes to what they pay. And probably one of the the more cited ones on the side of it doesn't matter was this study done in the 70s by Pope and some other people around that outcomes of clients just kind of didn't track based on the amount of dollars that they spent in therapy. And, you know, for... I don't know anywhere else in the world that doesn't have the economic system developed around their mental health stuff like the U.S. does. We can (laughs) pretty much see that echoed there as well. Sorry, foreign listeners. This one's pretty unique to American therapists here. (laughs) (laughs) But there there is a, a mixture of some of this other stuff, too, that some studies show that there's a pretty predictable amount of dollars paid per session that can predict whether or not clients are going to show up to their last session. And this is done in, Ooh, in sliding scale clinics. The research on client outcomes is really all over the board and seems to have stopped in the early 90s. Like all of all of the analysis, meta-analysis reviews that I was kind of looking at this stuff is this seemed to be a pretty big popular question in the 70s and early 80s that kind of started dying out, hasn't been looked at a whole lot. 
And I think getting into some of the law and ethics will tell us kind of how those laws and ethics shifted our field at that time to where it made it harder to research and kind of left us in this lurch of what has happened in the past still being kind of echoed as far as do good things that we should be doing as therapists, but don't necessarily reflect the model of where our profession is today. So before you we dive into law and ethics, I'm really curious about the study with fee versus attending the last session. So I don't have the study right in front of me, but we'll put it in the show notes and Katie will, you know, draw a big arrow in the show notes to this one. In <laughs> I'm not drawing an arrow. I'm just going to put the link in there. <laughs> but it predicted that the more that a client was paying for therapy, the more likely that they were to attend their last termination session. There wasn't a big enough sample size to really parse out whether this was clients who had reached their treatment goals versus clients who were wanting to just withdraw from therapy and were just kind of ghosting their therapist. But it did say that the more that clients were paying for their last session, all of their sessions, it's not like they were raising their fee for the last session. (laughs) (laughs) Don't charge like $8 million for the last session just for people to show up. I'm pretty sure that would go back against this. But yeah, it would be pretty bad. The the people who had more heavily discounted fees were less likely to show up to those sessions. Well, and I think there's there's so many different reasons, but I for the folks who I've had at my full fee, oftentimes they will let me know this is the last session and they've, you know, or next session is the last session because they also don't want to be charged again. <laughs> Whereas somebody paying less may be less concerned about a late cancel or no show fee uh, for their last session. Okay, so when we look at the different theories, when we look at the the clinical elements of this, it looks like there's confusing research. People may or may not value therapy more depending on how much they pay, but my interpretation of what we've talked about both in this episode and before is that when people are more invested in it, so if it's a higher percentage of their income, so somebody could be paying $100, that's where they max out, they are uncomfortable, they're invested, they will get a lot out of therapy. Someone where $200 is pocket change may not value it as much because they're not in that uncomfortable space. There's also other types of investments. I worked a long time in public mental health where people were paying $0 and 0 cents for therapy. And there were folks who invested a lot in attending sessions regularly, and they invested in finding childcare and paying for public transportation or making sure they got the funding for public transportation. And so they were also very invested, whereas there were folks who were less invested and got less out of it. So level of investment, not actual dollars clinically has been shown potentially that that's that's more indicative of clinical outcomes than final dollars like well and this this goes back to the the question of how many therapy clients does it take to change a light bulb just one but they really have to want to change the light bulb and <laughs> This this goes back to that question of people who are invested to make things work are more likely to make it work. Yes, and yes, absolutely. One of the indirect ways that I think our profession has flipped this backwards, and we'll get to kind of a practical way of, of flipping this back to being forwards, but one of the ways that we have flipped this backwards is by 
creating this uncomfortability with clients. Like it's the shorthand way of like, how much would you need to pay for this either directly to me or overall in your life to make this worthwhile for you changing? Mm. And the even shorter hand of that is I'm going to charge you enough. You know, I'm going to look at your whole family income. I'm going to create a little chart of how many people are in your households. And, you know, you've, you've got two jobs that in, in your household that pays this much money. Statistically, you would be uncomfortable if I, you know, match these numbers up and charge you in this box here. And I've seen sliding scales based solely on, you know, people's tax returns. Yeah. And I mean, I think you're talking about the ones that are like these actual written out scales that say yes. this is a household income and people either ask for proof of income or tax returns or rely on the honor system for clients to put forward that that number. And if you're horrified by doing this, especially in private practice, then you fall where most clinicians do, which is being yeah. afraid of asking about people's money. Yes, yes. Before we move into that, the the other element, because I want to touch on a clinical element that that Tiffany went into, is is the reverse, which is the argument is therapists will show up more because the therapist's financial situation is the same across all of their clients. And so clients who pay me more, and this is kind of what Tiffany was saying, I'm going to show up better for than clients who pay me less. Is there any research on that? Because I think that would have an impact on outcomes too if therapists are doing better work with folks who are paying more. Personally, I find that I, that's not really the case. I think there are probably times when it could be, but I don't think it's it's generally not how I operate. And I think ethically, we want to show up the same for every client, regardless of what they're paying. But what what are your thoughts on that? Or what have you found anything on that? Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I haven't found a lot. And so I'm going to speak a little bit more anecdotally here. I see this happening mostly when people first move into for-profit sort of situations where the the payment by the client is something that directly impacts the monetary life of the therapist. Yeah. And this is often seen where we see people get shuffled from a free system where they volunteer to all of a sudden they're charging a client, you know, $100, $150 a session that this is just an astronomically different price amount. I also see this when people tend to have smaller practices where people have 
more of their percentage of practice being tied up in a, a smaller amount of these clients. That if you have a yeah, larger yeah. caseload, the fees tend to average out. And anecdotally, what I've seen, not only in my practice, but also across a number of other people's practice where we've talked about this particular issue is that later career clinicians tend to kind of average out in their output unless they feel that they're more invested in clients' outcomes and they're doing more work. This is where that adage of don't work harder than your clients comes in. That's where I see it come up. But overall, anecdotally, it doesn't seem to be something that is affecting clients. But this is where the push towards doing good outcome measurements with your clients allows for them to be able to reflect that back to you and is something where having practice-based evidence with your own clients allows for you to be able to see that you might not be showing up as well. And getting that direct feedback from your clients is a really good example of this. But going back to something that Tiffany was talking about is you are also responsible for leading conversations around are, are the clients only giving you better session ratings because you're subsidizing their therapy costs? Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it and it is such a complex area. I think clinically it's, it's, it's something where we, I think we should move on to the, the law and ethics at this point, but clinically it seems like there are things that could come into the room around sliding scale. There's not evidence that people will not get benefit if they are paying less than your full fee. But there are things, there are considerations that you want to make sure that are there, whether it's, are they investing appropriately, whether that's financially or time and energy or, or value or whatever. And then also, are you talking about the things that could be happening based on how fee was set? So there's a lot of I'm going to call it mythology because I was trying to look into it and I I don't, I'm not the law and ethics expert like you are, but there's a lot of mythology around what you have to do or what might be best to do, as well as people that are just kind of free floating in this sliding scale arena. Some of the things that, that, you know, I think are important to talk about are setting a usual and customary fee, how to set your fee and then deciding on your sliding scale, whether or not there's risk for insurance fraud, depending on how you report fees out. Um, I think that one may be off the off the table here a little bit. But then also, I've had folks talk about where you put somebody even on your schedule. Like, do you only put full fee, it, full fee clients in primetime slots? Is that ethical to do so? Do you need to, to kind of have the same accommodations, treatment for all clients, regardless of how they're paying. I mean, there's, there's so many pieces to this that, you know, I think most therapists, at least anecdotally set their fee, they slide a lot. They only, they basically are just negotiating client by client and there's not a lot of theory around how they do it. And there potentially is some risk that they're, they're putting in by doing it that way. So we're going to put in the show notes, a couple of articles from CPH Insurance, and particularly Richard Leslie, who writes their Avoiding Liability blog over there, that talks about where some of this comes from and why you'd need to be more specific in this. And while these are articles that are 10 plus years old, these still hold very, very strongly. And the earlier of the articles, Richard talks about having a, a usual and customary fee for a number of reasons. 
And part of this ends up dealing with some of the clinical stuff of if you're seeing clients who know each other and one finds out that they're paying way more than the other one, that that's yep. something that can you know, potentially impact your therapeutic alliance there. That's managing stuff on the clinical end of things. But where I do love Richard's background as an attorney in this is that this also gets into needing to be aware of where your state laws are, that many states have laws that you need to be able to put a predictable and specific number as far as what your advertised fees are. And so if you have, you know, on any of the online therapy platforms where you've got a range of fees going on, you need to be able to, in some states, be able to justify what those fees are based on. And so if you have a range that's out there and it's your justification is just kind of, I don't know, ask, uh, you're, you're potentially <laughs> running against your state laws right there. Yeah. So you do want to do that, but where a lot of this stuff comes from and what I was talking about earlier in the episode is the impact that insurance has had on our, our profession here over the last 40 years when it comes to where these sliding scales are. And this deals with whether you take insurance or not, because when managed care around behavioral health really took hold in the 80s. This is where lower fee therapy got subsidized by the insurance companies, by people who are paying premiums. And this has its origins even going back into the medical associations and, and the ways that laws even earlier. I see Katie's eyes glazing over, so I'm going to try and make this as quick as possible. But in the U.S. in the late 1800s, physicians went from needing to provide good health to everybody to actually being able to charge more for their fees. And so this, this goes from a just creating health model of delivery to creating health and wealth. And so what a lot of physicians did was raise their fees. And for people who couldn't afford those fees, those clinicians, like many of us in private practice today with our well-meaning things, used our charging higher fees for some clients to subsidize paying for the lower fees that other clients would be paying. And so it was creating kind of the subsidy system. And this actually made it into the American Medical Association's Code of Ethics. 1957, it talked about fees should be standard and charged based measuredly on the services provided and the client's ability to pay. But that went away in the 1980s as things like Medicaid and Medicare said, you have to charge people the full fee if they can afford it in order to be able to be in network and be subsidized by Medicare and Medicaid for the lower fee clients. And this was followed by private insurance companies and stuff too. So what we are left with is this as providers, there's still kind of this ethos, even though it's only kind of mentioned in some ethical codes, of we still need to provide health to people, but we still have this ability to provide wealth for ourselves. And these are in conflict here. And that is why we're talking about it this episode. So what's interesting about that is a logical way to set up your practice is to have a range of fees that allow you to charge an average rate that some people pay more if they can afford it, some people pay less if they can't, and you can create wealth based on 
kind of having your clients subsidize each other. And I think that makes a lot of sense. But with the insurance coming in, are you saying that they took that ability away? Saying that the insurance company's argument on this is if you're acting like an insurance company and subsidizing Mm -hmm. some of your clients with some of the other things, what you're not doing is providing a usual and customary fee unless there's a justification that is standard for that. Got it. And especially if you're doing this with insurance clients. And this is where we've all been kind of vaguely warned before of, you know, if you don't accept a copay with your client, then you're violating your insurance contract. Yeah. Which is absolutely true. You are. And so this now becomes something where for therapists, and this is really hard to explain to clients when they want help, but for therapists, what this has done is taken this feel good, we want to provide health aspect and put it into a avoiding liability part of our profession. Got and, it. And Got this it. is where the conflict really comes up is we want to help people in our profession. That's what draws a lot of us into this profession. But the fact that this particular aspect of it, of providing broader care, has a legal basis for us to really be specific for why we provide sliding scales because it potentially puts us in terms of insurance fraud. Well, there's insurance fraud, but I'm also hearing, and and maybe this is the the element you're talking about, but I'm also hearing that if if my fee is $150 and I don't charge more than one person that fee, my my usual and customary fee is actually much lower. And so claiming that in a, a you know, some sort of a insurance billing or those kinds of things, and maybe this is too, too down a rabbit hole, but to me, it seems like when I say my fee is this, but I never charge it beyond what the insurance company says about it, it are there any legal or ethical problems with that. So I'm going to point to the 2014 ACA Code of Ethics, where they added standard A10C that counselors may adjust fees if counselors' usual charge creates an undue hardship for clients. Even the ACA says that we need to make sure that that sliding scaler, that fee adjustment doesn't violate state law. And even they point out that when it comes to insurance companies, you really have to look at what the contract says there. So that's in addition to whatever state law sort of things are. When it comes to sliding scale stuff like this, that it, when it comes to an ethical question, a lot of the professional organizations are going to largely bypass this answer because then it gets into a whole antitrust thing of telling people how to run their businesses. And ah. so when it comes to hard specific ethics, I don't think that we're going to see anything like this, but this falls into the softer unspoken ethics, which are a lot harder virtue ethics sort of things that nobody's going to get, you know, the ethical police coming after them for, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're doing your sliding scale wrong. But a lot of these softer ethics are still going to be very much in that same spirit of helping you to avoid the legal liabilities that would come along with this. And so if you are doing anything, and this may even include things like, you know, super bills and insurance rates and and this kind of stuff that you still have the responsibility to accurately bill. 
you know, your usual yeah. customary fee, like you're talking about, which, you know, here in the, the next section of, of this, we're going to talk about practicalities of how to do this, but your super bills need to reflect what you actually charge those clients. That probably also needs a number of practical things as far as what that service actually entails. You know, if you're including letter writing and part of your session fees and that kind of stuff, that's going to be something where your time investment goes into that. And that might be where, you know, some of your resentment ends up coming in towards clients. If you're doing a lot of in-between session work that gets unbilled. Yeah. But this comes down to accurately reflecting what you're doing and having a good justification for it. The ethics behind that is to help you follow the laws. So I want to talk about what those laws are, but first I'm just thinking about the soft kind of the moralistic ethics, which is if you have a fee, you should charge it or have good reasons why you've done a sliding scale. I think there's also all the other pieces around what time you schedule clients who are paying less money, you know, how long the sessions are, how you show up. I mean, to me, there's, there's something around like I'm a, I, I should. So this is, I feel like the, the kind of the morals and values ethics. I should treat all of my clients the same and I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Like I should be equal and have equal access and all of those things. And I think I do that myself and I, and I definitely value that, but there's also this other element of I'm a business person. And so I need to reserve prime spots for people who can pay my full fee because otherwise they won't book with me and and they won't be able to, I won't be able to, to do those things. I should be able to identify how I show up for each of my clients and what services they qualify for based on what they're paying and those kinds of things. And so there's the business element of, I, it's my business. I can charge people what I want. And then there's the ethics element of, I should be equitably showing up for my clients, regardless of what they pay or how they cover their services. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Hey, good therapy is good therapy and bad therapy is bad therapy. And sure. That is going to be any number of the other decisions that we end up putting around people that we only offer our sliding scale spots on times where there's street cleaning and you know half the neighborhood parking <laughs> is is not available <laughs> and sliding scale people have to walk past you know six blocks worth of you know other stuff that's going on in the streets in order to get to your office. Are you actually punishing them more than? And some of the more prime spots, are you withholding other aspects of services? And this is where what you're speaking to is we should theoretically offer all of our clients whatever works out best for them. And there could be a myriad of rules around that, that as far as I can imagine, we would look at, are you unfairly treating people because they're paying less? That would be where the motivations would be examined in any sort of a an ethical complaint sure. and some of the ways of protecting around that are really having a honest and thorough evaluation, but nobody is mandated to do sliding scale work. 
You know, our ethics yeah. suggests that we should do pro bono work, but sliding scale may or may not fit the pro bono part of our ethics. And that's something where I think a lot of us make an attempt at doing pro bono work in this sliding scale sort of way that might be some of our things. You know, if you choose to do your pro bono work someplace else, you're probably not going to do it during those, you know, mm -hmm. hours where you can charge a full fee. It's a long way of saying it depends. Well, and I think the thing that I'm hearing is there's there's a need for there to be an opt-in. And so I, I think about my first therapist who said she was doing very low fee for therapist students for so I was I was in my my grad program and I opted in to a particular time and a particular fee because that's where she had the space. Mm -hmm. Now, if I wasn't aware and she started moving me around the schedule and didn't promise me a regular spot and and treated me in a way that wasn't in honor of the relationship we had developed. It sounds like that is where it becomes problematic. If she's saying, hey, you're going to get all the benefits, but actually without telling you, I'm not going to give you all the benefits. I mean, I'm just, uh, I love going well, to the theater. And well, so I miss and, it, but I'm thinking about the people that pay for like the front row versus the obscured view. Like we opt into those situations based on what we want to afford. Well, what you're talking about is going back to some of the listener feedback we had from Tiffany's episode. It's also going back to what I, I was reading about manager's standpoint on this is, is these need to be clinician-led discussions. Yes. That they, they and, and repeatedly led by the clinician and checking in from the clinician on these standpoints because we don't want the clients to be in this position of unpredictability. And am mm -hmm. I being treated this way because I can't afford things and they don't know the investments that I'm putting into these things. So are there any, before we get into practicalities, are there any specific laws that people should be aware of? Definitely want to check with anything that deals with third-party reimbursements and check your insurance contracts, make sure that you're accurately billing stuff and make sure that you are advertising your fees correctly. If you're saying, this is my fee, you need to charge that fee. And if you're giving a range of fees, you need to specifically be able to say why those fees are what they are. And an example of this is, you know, we'll see on on some of these, you know, therapist platforms, you know, the, like directories, directories, uh, you know, fees range from 130 to $200 per session. Well, you need to have probably a written basis for why somebody would pay 130 and why somebody would pay 200. One example of this that I did in my practice is when I was earning my EMDR certification, one of the requirements was having a certain number of EMDR sessions and EMDR clients in order to qualify for that. And so I had drastically reduced my fee in order to meet some of those quotas, but I had created a special informed consent with those clients that here's the basis why you get this fee for this specific amount of time. And this expires and we will reevaluate on this date or after I reach my certification, whichever comes first. And so these are things where these are specifically written out yeah. policies that are clinician led, that are justified. And those are the kinds of things that you need to do in your practice. That seems fair. It, it seems like a lot of work. And I think a lot of people will be like, I'm not listening. But I think these are the, this is where liability rests. This is where risk is. If you cannot explain why someone has a particular fee or why you slide from one fee to another, 
you could get in trouble if somebody were to question it. Yes. Okay. So practicality. So first step is obviously having a theory and, and writing it down, like having a philosophy of fee schedule, whatever it is, make sure that you, you understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, if all of this seems very hard, one option is opt out of sliding scale. Yes. You charge your full fee and if people need a different fee, they go somewhere else. Yes. And you, you, you avoid those conversations. Everybody's the same. Some other options, and I think this was, I'll, I'll look for whichever article it was in, but you know, a pay what you can model, which I feel like is really strange where the client pay, you say, this is my fee, pay what you can every week and people pay. Like that seems really weird and, and uncomfortable, but maybe that's honoring the client. I don't know. Actually doing pro bono. So you have sliding, you have full fee and pro bono or, and this would be a whole other episode. So I'm just going to throw it in there or barter. <laughs> Totally <laughs> I have a episode. whole totally different episode. So there's there's other options, but to me, I think to to close out this episode, I think it makes sense to talk about how you could do a sliding scale, following laws and ethics, and making sure that you're still taking care of yourself and potentially accruing wealth and and living a good life. Yeah, and so I know that this is more up your alley, so I'm going to turn this over to you to really be able to describe it. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to pay your bills. You need to be able to have your income. And that includes not only covering the costs in your practice, but whatever income that you need. And that's going to vary wildly from person to person. You have a couple hundred grand of student loans sitting there. Your needs are going to be different than somebody who's potentially later in their life and has all of their retirement not only funded, but they're back at the point where they're taking retirement money out and don't need the money in their practice as much. Yeah. So your needs are going to vary differently wildly in your career. And some of the the practicalities of figuring out those needs are more up your alley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a few things that come to mind for me. And one is setting your fee in the first place. Cause I think a lot of people will say, okay, what is my fee? And they'll, they'll figure out their expenses. They'll figure out how much the, you know, both the the business expenses as well as personal expenses, how much do I want to take home, that kind of stuff. They will take that fee or they'll take that amount per year. They'll divide it into weeks and number of sessions and say, okay, that's what I have to charge. And then they start from there and then they slide down, which then of course means that you're not covering your expenses because you're not averaging the fee that you actually need. Hmm. And so this gets into math, which I know a lot of therapists don't like. I, I actually like math, so I always hate that stereotype, but, but it's identifying if you need to earn about 150 a session for the needs that you have, you have to figure out how many sessions you're actually having per week, how many are actually being attended, as well as how many weeks you want to work. I mean, there's so many things. And so when you actually get down to what you need to average per session, then it goes into how many slots can you have? Now, if you're not sliding, everybody's 150, math is done. Mm -hmm. If you're going to slide, you have to have clients over 150 in order to average that. And so your full fee might be 180 or 200 and you slide between 200 and 100 and you have a very specific thing. So that covers your costs and it makes sure that you're doing what you need to do, but you have to pay attention to the averages because if everyone's at a hundred, again, you're not meeting your costs and you're not charging your, 
your your fee. So to me, I, that kind of speaks to how you're describing the way doctors did initially with the health and wealth model. But I think there's there's definitely a, a mindset of you set your fee, but you have to charge it or at least charge that on average in order to meet your expenses. And mm-hmm. so I'll put in the show notes kind of the math that I typically do. I know Tiffany has a setting fees calculator. We can put that there too. I think there's a lot of different ways to sort this out, but it's it's something where kind of quick and dirty, it's number of weeks you want to work, number of sessions you want to schedule, and your attendance rate, usually 80 or 90% for most folks. And then you're going to, and, and you can figure out what that fee needs to be for the money that you need to bring in. So you can, you can do it as, let me just kind of, it's a moving average and you keep a spreadsheet or you can actually do, these are the number of slots at this amount. This is the number of spots at this amount. <laughs> and this is the number of spots at this lower fee. And this is also where I'll reiterate about bringing some sort of outcome measurements and, and deliberate practice into your practice to make sure that you're actually showing up for those clients and that you're leading those discussions with clients if you are choosing to have that sliding scale aspect, because this is also about quality of care and you showing up as well. And that way you're still valuing the time and the energy put in by clients that we know and have some effective data that your sliding scale is working for both you and your clients still. Yes. Yes. And I think to me, I think that, that, that check and balance is so important because I think some folks, especially if they've done too much sliding, they start getting burnt out and they don't recognize that they actually will improve their clinical care if they can keep the right ratio of clients at the right rate because they'll be able to cover their expenses, show up and, and then actually not have lots of extra clients, not have resentment and that kind of stuff. Another thing that is easier is having two fees. So there's not like anything in between, but like here is my full fee, here is my reduced fee. And, and you can then have a number of slots there and determine whether or not you can see someone. And you, then it also means that you don't go below that, which can get problematic if you start sliding for a lot of folks. So there's also another way that can be very helpful where you can do some of this either kind of sliding scale access kind of work or pro bono work where there's organizations that will take care of that for you so you can keep your practice pristine, so to speak. One is Open Path. We actually have partnered with them. And so if you tell them that <laughs> you're signing up on our recommendation, we do, we do get a little bit of money back. Thank you very much for, for that. We like to support good organizations. But they have sliding scale that's very tight. They market for those, those clients. And it's a way to give back and or a way to build in a little bit of a practice for folks who have less ability to pay or, or choosing that type of, a, of an access of, to a service. The other one is Given Hour. And, and we're talking with them. They're doing great work where they primarily for military, but also people in big crisis, they did some stuff. They've been doing stuff for, for, for medical workers during COVID crisis. And they've also been doing stuff with people, families at the border, with border separations, as well as with the Route 91 shooting and those types of things. And so that is completely pro bono, but it means that you go, you get a client, you don't have to do that that work to set up your own pro bono slots in your own practice, which then becomes more complicated. So, so those are the practical things I'm thinking of. I don't know if you have other thoughts on your I, I just want to say with 
open path and with Kevin Hour that you know philosophically Katie and I have you know, made a very big push you know for individuals to charge what they're worth for clinicians across the board to despite their settings to be able to maximize their income and really take care of the clinician work on this and for us to be partnering with organizations like these where it is volunteering your time or it is deliberately accepting a sliding scale part of your practice. The reason that we choose these and how it fits within our overall philosophy is these are opt-ins. These are things that you can individually choose to do. It can be a part of how you meet some of your ethical needs. It's not a mandate. It is not something where the industry is forcing you to work in one of these positions in order to check off a box in order to fulfill the next requirement. And so we see these organizations as very much holding our ideals of expanding access to a lot of clients. And if you're making all of the decision points that we talked about in this episode and following all of your laws and ethics, I think that these are really good opportunities to match up with them. So if you'd like to learn more about Open Path, like I mentioned, we are an affiliate partner with them. So if you mention that you found out about them from us, we will get a little bit of money in our pockets, which helps us with our ability to continue doing these types of activities for, for all of you. We do have a special interview with Caitlin Irwin, um, one of the folks over at Open Path, to talk more about how they provide these services and how you can get best benefit with them and providing sliding scale. So you can find our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 